Welcome, fellow Cape Crusaders, to the first episode of Batman Returned. I'm your host, Charlie Ashby, and of course, no vigilante would be complete without their spunky, pixie boot-wearing psychic. So let's introduce the Robin to my Batman, Orden Diaz. Charlie, I'm not wearing the green Speedo. You mailed it to me, I'm throwing it away. I'm not wearing it. What the fuck, dude? I just like put the fucking thing on. You're taking this role play thing way too seriously. I think that we need to take you to Dr. Chase Meridian in two films from now. I wouldn't mind that. <laughs> okay, have you seen Bats? <laughs> Excuse me? Tell me, Doctor. Yeah, tell me, Doctor, have you ever dreamed about Bats? The coin is his Achilles heel. Oh, see, now we're getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, we are getting ahead of ourselves. This is, a, oh, yeah. Well, let's just explain what this podcast actually is. So the show's creation stemmed from conversations that we have had about the Tim Burton Batman films and my attempts to show you what I love about the subtexts and the messages of these films. Yes. Yes, because I, I both of us, uh, mutual love of Batman. Uh, he's my favorite comic book character. Some of my favorite um, films are Batman films. And I think that he has had one of the most interesting legacies on the page, but also just adaptation wise. And um, I have historically not been a fan of the Timber Batman films, and I have not watched them in years. And then you brought some stuff about returns uh, to the table that made me go, huh. And that is what this whole thing is about because i'm so excited to just delve back into these films i love watching these films all the time they're to me personally they're the most iconic batman films i adore the nolan trilogy but it's definitely a different type of batman story it's a it's a realistic batman story um doesn't mean it's not like in terms of like, like people obviously the dark knight is an incredible film but in terms of what the best adaptation of the book i love I still feel like the Burton films are up there. They're definitely an auteur's vision of a specific Batman. It's definitely Tim Burton's uh, twisted version of what Gotham should be, but it also still maintains that sort of gothic sensibility that I don't think the other films have managed to quite grab. Even um, no matter how much Snyder puts in the Dark Knight Returns elements, he does a good job of like the gargoyle aspects and stuff, but I don't think there's still enough that gritty sort of... The, it's not even great it's just gothic the gothic sensibility the um mm -hmm. like there's something uh yeah. there's something painterly to burton's gotham that i think is i mean a, a lot of this is is very like filled with anachronisms and things that it feels very much of a different era but at the same time um of an of a altered world of a world created you know by human hands it feels like everything we can hear was a design choice whereas you know, Nolan obviously chose to sort of play around with an enhanced city, but then he abandoned that for his second and third film, uh, opting to go more with just Chicago. Um, we never saw the Narrows again and, the, and, you know, the high trains and things like that. But Snyder sort of also does realistic cities, but just makes he, he gets the grime of Gotham. It feels like a dangerous place, but this feels like a place where you, you, know, you can get lost looking at a building. And, you know, you believe that I think in Burton's Gotham that there could be ancient societies and, and underground croc men and things like that. 
yeah, you can have a weird baby and throw it into a pond and it will turn up to be a penguin man. You throw your baby in water and you get you get Danny DeVito. <laughs> be careful. Don't throw all your babies because you want a Danny DeVito because that's not always the case. <laughs> it's not always the Danny DeVito you like. You might end up with a Moses. Um, but let's be, you know, I just, there's something about the sensibility of the stylistic choices. Like Tim Burton obviously is a gothic creator himself anyway. And that pairing just works a lot for the character. Mm -hmm. For me, uh, and it's a scene in this film, so we'll obviously talk about it um, in a few minutes. We'll obviously get about an hour. (laughs) I think one of the best things about this film, my favorite ever superhero moment in any film is in this movie. And that is the descent into mystery scene where the Batmobile is driving through Gotham into the, 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 the greenery. And Vicky Vale is trying to like figure out <laughs> who Batman is, and there's like no dialogue basically, or minimal dialogue, and the, the music build, the sort of the mysterious thing. That is what I love about Batman: is this brooding hero who has mysteries. And, and but also we'll talk about this a bit more obviously in the second film, which is I think delves a bit more into this idea, mm-hmm. which is um, mental health and Batman. Yes, uh, something that I think has been increasingly relevant in the source material in comics because of this. I mean, this is one of those situations where we talk about a lot about, you know, in comic book fan culture, a lot about how Tony Stark has been written differently ever since 08 because of something that hit that hard. You know, this mm. interpretation, I think, has ripples throughout uh, comic book history at this point. I mean, it's become just as important as you know your Engelhart and o'neill takes you know on the character you know the the you hear people talk about keaton's batman as a visual uh, as visual iconography but also as a performance and it's you always hear that well you know he wasn't really physically imposing but there was something unhinged about him that's what you always hear about keaton's bruce and i think that a lot of that for me comes down to the visual iconography i think that for me personally a lot of my problems with this movie that we will talk about as we go have been character based, uh, particularly with, with Joker. And, and I think some things like that, but I don't, I don't ever want to take away the fact that this defined, you know, a, an archetype within the bat mythology forever. I mean, you hear older fans talk about it, like seeing the, the black suit for the first time and, you know, having grown up on Adam West and just thinking, my God, like now we look back on this with a little bit of tongue in cheek, but, this was grim, you know, for the era. Yeah, and I feel like, and that's kind of what's funny, like you said, about looking back now, we like, isn't that quaint? Um, but I miss those elements. I I love the old-timey, when people shoot guns, do you know what I mean? Because like, mm-hmm. it reminds you that this is a comic book. This isn't, you know, and it can have gravitas. It doesn't mean that it's not important. It doesn't mean that it doesn't have serious messages it doesn't mean it's not a piece of art but also it's supposed to be a comic book and it's fun and it's it's the way to dive into this mysterious world of a knowingly world and i feel like that's what tim burton does a great job at getting into he can put his messages in there serious messages and he doesn't have to be completely um addicted to the source material which again i don't think you necessarily have to be um and I think that is what I love about these films. So why don't we just, you know, 
stop talking, get involved into this. Yeah, so uh, let's guide people, I guess, a little bit um, into queuing things up. We're not necessarily watching this, Charlie and I, on the same copy. I believe that there should be no real variations or issues, but I haven't owned, I think I've owned one DVD of this in, in my lifetime, and, and it's long since either lost or left at a different uh, location. But it's, everyone should be able to queue up to the beginning just fine and have no issues no matter where you are. Yeah, so Alden, you're watching on the uh, HBO Max. Yes, I am indeed. HBO Max. And I am watching a uh, the Blu-ray copy. And the film is about two hours, six minutes long. We're starting right at the beginning, zero, 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 zero. So the first thing you should be able to see if you're watching along with us, because this is a film commentary track, um, just to let you know. <laughs> uh, and that is the first thing we'll be showing you will be the Warner Brothers logo. Yes. Uh, we're going to do three, two, one, and then we'll say go, and on go, we'll click play at the yep. same time. And then just a real then, quick before we do that countdown, uh, one thing yeah. that we forgot to note is that uh, you've broken this up into seasons, correct? Batman Returned, we're going to be tackling this in seasons. Um, and do you want to delve a little bit into that? I know this is the season premiere first episode, um, so this will be uh, Burton and Schumacher, correct? Yeah, so this is the Burton Schumacher series. So the first season we're going to be doing is the first four films in terms of uh, Batman 89 all the way to Batman and Robin because I feel like that's a good sort of starting point uh, for me personally, my personal like story of this franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously we stemmed the conversation talking about Batman Returns. So I wanted to get into that as quickly as possible. So we'll be doing those four films and then... I'm sure, I'm sure that on the Batman and Robin episode, we'll sort of like talk about an overview. We might do a bonus episode here and there, talk about overviews. Maybe we'll talk about comics at some point. But for this first right. season, it's going to be, I reckon, about five episodes. And I mean, yeah, it's interesting. So it's going to be five episodes, and then we'll do season two, which at the moment, I believe, will be the Nolan trilogy. Nice. So ex- yeah. get excited for that. Um, we'll talk about we'll talk about plans and stuff because there are some that don't neatly fit into a season. So there could be like maybe a one shots season or something like that. But uh, yeah, we're gonna be we're gonna be hitting all the favorites. I just wanted to touch on that as well before we got into eighty nine. Yeah, for sure. I think the main thing we're gonna do is it's gonna be theatrical releases. So we'll do obviously like the Snyderverse. Uh, we'll do the Nolan verse, Phantasm, we'll Lego, Phantasm, Lego, and I think the, 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 the one of the seasons will be just free films, and that will be the '66 Lego and Phantasm. It's going to be the greatest triple feature of all time. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah, the, we'll call it the best Batman movie. Yeah. <laughs> Arc. <laughs> yeah, we'll track his character across all three. <laughs> yeah. What's his progression here? Lego and 66 are are canon. Well, 66 is uh is Lego's canon with everything. So that that's going to be a blast. Yeah. But uh the joys in the multiverse. Yes, indeed. And and for people listening to this timely, don't worry. We we have thoughts on Matt Reeves as the Batman and you'll get those at some point as well. Yeah, that's why I wanted to clarify that this first season will have five episodes because I feel like we just have to talk about that um trailer. Because have you seen it? <laughs> We'll oh, talk yeah. about it. Oh yeah, and we're vengeance, baby. There's a there's a direct line between the film we're about to watch and that trailer. 
hundred uh, percent. And I have so much to talk about how that film looks. Uh, does everything I love about this film <laughs> so far. Um, but we'll get into that. So yeah, if you're listening to us, thank you for joining in. We're going to be uh, doing a deep dive. This is Batman 1989 by Tim Burton. You ready, Alden? I am ready. All right. Three, two, one, and then go. All right. Three, two, one, go. Rated PG-13. Ooh, a Warner Communications Company. Oh, this opening's so good. This is a, uh, yeah, I have very fond memories of this opening sequence. Man, it's probably been, Charlie, it's probably been five, ten years since I've seen this movie. Well, really? Yeah, it, oh, it, I mean, it's been a long time. Like, because of my feelings on them, I sort of was like, eh, I don't ever need to go back to the Burtons. Uh, you are the reason why I'm, I'm revisiting these with adult eyes. Can we just take a moment to talk about that? I mean, this theme. Oof. Danny Elfman, man, he he sort of cemented the character in musically throughout our lifetimes because not only do we have this incredible theme for this like film, uh, we see it in Justice League, we see it in elements of it, obviously, in the animated series. Right. I mean, this is the sort of the the forward momentum that even as the theme has changed, um, you know, with Hans Zimmer and, and other interpretations, uh, like you said, it, it has carried throughout the annals of time and sort of the momentum, the racing. I mean, this theme feels like you're in the Batmobile. It, yeah, it really does a great job at... It has the, the mystery in there, like this bit here, like... Like, it's got that sort of, like, gothic vibe to it. It's not just action, action, action. It's a mixture of action, intensity, and... Also, Absolutely. sort of a dark, mysterious element of the character. Um, obviously, Prince did the the Prince album, which is incredible. Which I loved. I'm a huge Prince fan, and that's one of the key aspects of this for me. And also something that you don't appreciate as a kid, just that while we're looking at it, is that the purposeful, methodical like disorientation of, I don't know what I'm looking at if I'm seeing this for the first time. And like slowly you might be able to put together you know the symbol but if you're watching this as a kid you're probably like is this a graveyard is this some sort of you know winter am i inside of a lair like what is happening and then you get one of the most iconic title sequences ever and i miss title sequences like this we don't really get them anymore no they're usually in story or they just slap the credits on footage you know we don't ever get a here's a separate visual we made you know Look at I, that. how beautiful is that Oh man, I love the the metal, the industrial like things holding other things up and just how art deco, it's like art deco just like mixed with goth and it's it's great. And Tim Burton doesn't have to tell you in the dialogue like it's all like in the Nolan verse. You don't have to be like Gotham was struggling. Look at all these poor people. It's just there. That is true. Yeah. And the attitudes of the Gotham, Gotham citizens are pricks. It's like New York, but not exactly New York. It's not like Superman where you can tell it's just New York. Right. And like you said, like you can immediately tell this isn't really where you want to be. People are, are rushing, not necessarily because it's New York, but because, you know, like right there, out of focus shot of the gang. Now you can see them on the side of the frame gaining 
on them. You know, like it, it just has a lot of, uh, you know, Burns a master of environment. You know, his characters and his and his scripts sometimes can vary, but the guy gets tone. As a prostitute, just being annoyed <laughs> that the little boy didn't want to get involved. Are we all just the annoyed prostitute? <laughs> Oh, and what I love about this as well is that you're watching this and you're like, is this Bruce Wayne? Like, we don't actually know yes. that this is... Yes, and that he... was something that I was going to bring up with, you know, you mentioned we don't have title sequences like that anymore. It immediately, you know, this has a direct line to, like, Singer's X-Men movies and, and you know, and the Raimi Spider-Man's, like, movie opens with a visual, a title sequence, and then we cut and it's like, are we in the origin? Like, is that kid Magneto? It, it has that exact same feel. Yeah, and what I love about this is that it, it actually visualizes Batman's entire mission. His whole point is that he wants to stop what happened to him happening to anyone else. And this is literally what happened to him. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah, and, and it's it's so funny, like, revisiting this movie after so long for me personally, just while we were talking, I had to remind myself that it's not Bruce Wayne. I was like, oh, wait, no, this movie fakes you out. That's right. That's right. It, it, it sucks you in in such a good way because we're, we've been inundated now with the origin across so many different forms of media. And obviously, Nolan stretched it out into an entire sequence. So here it's just like, you know, it gives the, the city flavor, you know, because Gotham's a character. And this, this sort of the talking about the bat, like obviously in this universe, Batman isn't, um, this is probably what, it's a year one, maybe. Look at that. Oh, so good. Yeah. I don't know if it's, it's year one. Cause he seems established technologically and in terms of the cave and all that stuff and like his methods, but he definitely has zero relationship like with the GCPD. Like he's not a superhero. He for sure has gone out of his way to be a creature. Well, it's more like he's just a mythic character. Like, there's no actual confirmation that he exists in Gotham as of here. You know, and, and this tells you a lot, you know, for people that are Batman fans that maybe they grew up with Nolan and they haven't seen this one, the key in Batman's, like, physicality of, like, choosing not to just jump down but choosing to open the cape before he makes a move now three times tells you you know, how much he values striking fear. Exactly. And the gadgets, just, no, show don't tell. <laughs> that still works man that still works <laughs> it's so good i uh i'm a big fan of people not trying to do growly voice yeah i like the i you know again i don't want to date this too much um but you know we've seen some footage of pattinson at this point perhaps by the time you listen to this you've seen more but pattinson also choosing to just use an intimidating tone rather than a lot of modulation and that that's straight up Keaton. Lando Calrissian. <laughs> I love Billy D so much as Harvey. I, this is what frustrates me about this film and it's nothing to do with 
any of the creatives in this film, which is that we get promised Billy Dee Williams as Harvey Dent, and we don't get to see him as Two-Face. I know. Not until the Lego Batman movie would we get that performance. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, he voices Harvey in that movie. Not for very long. I don't think he really says much, but he's in it. Again, talking about sort of the year one elements, obviously you've got the, um, the Dent uh, got Gordon relationship. Right. You've got the and, mobsters uh, running about. Gordon at this point, you know, this isn't, again, a criticism of the material. It's just, uh, you know, it's just a product of going back is that the Gordon at this point was not yet really a developed uh, co-protagonist. He's sort of just set dressing. Exactly, yeah. Look like we got Jack. Ah, Jack Nicholson. Probably the most either celebrated or most controversial element of this film, depending on how you feel. Yeah, he elevates anything he's in just for me, and I feel like his performance in this film is great. He yeah, relishes every moment. I think he's I think he's good. I, I agree somewhat with the he's playing Jack Nicholson of it all. But at the same time, I also enjoy Jim Carrey as Riddler, which we'll see in a couple films. So uh, it's a little bit of hypocrisy on my part. I think that it's part of it is is other Joker takes that we've gotten since, which is not actual criticism. That's just historical context. It's hard. I, I, I'll get into it a little bit more when he actually transforms. I think he's good in the movie. I just don't think that there's a strong through line as to how he becomes Joker and, and what his character wants are, but we'll get there. I think that he's obviously having a blast, though. I think there's a different interpretation of what the Joker canon should be in this film, which I enjoy. He is definitely a representation of the darkness in Gotham. He rises from a, and we'll see this obviously later on, but he rises as a a street thug who gets involved into the mob and then gets involved in that. And it shows you what Gotham rewards. Gotham rewards you murdering people. It gives you power. But even then Gotham can turn you like turn on you and um, free to the dogs. And then sometimes Gotham can change you once again into something a little bit more different. That's an interesting read. Um, I just want to give a shout out right here, of course, to Star Wars alumni, uh, William Hootkins as Eckhart. You might know him <laughs> from the Battle of Yavin <laughs> and, from, <laughs> and from Raiders. Uh, uh, a, a very interesting uh, character actor, um, you know, who definitely made an impression on this entire era, obviously, you know, to be in these three iconic projects. He's such a great actor and i feel like do we know i can't remember is detective bullock in the comics at this point or is eckhart like sort of like a like a pro bullock? yeah i don't yeah. know but it's a great question and i remember as a kid melding sort of my comic knowledge with this movie and like you know mandela affecting bullock into this movie i just thought it was bullock yeah here we go look police corruption this is obviously fictional. There are no corrupt cops. <laughs> Never in my life have I seen such a thing. Look at this. I just love the way Gotham looks. It's a real city. It doesn't look like, you know, anyone else have those bins be clean. <laughs> and look what they accomplished, you know, with mostly studio sets. And, you know, I don't think there's much location shooting in this movie at all, if any. 
Um, and it does feel alive. So I know a lot of you know studios nowadays get afraid of studios. You know, we need it on location. We need it on location. We need Chicago, Philly, Detroit. You really don't. You um, don't. You can you can make something feel alive. Um, you know, talking about the scene though with Eckhart and, and Napier, I I do like what you're saying about how it rewards people in Gotham and how you know he gets to have you know his power as a cop, his power as a criminal. Napier is rising and eventually, you know, he becomes the clown prince of crime. My only thing is I just don't understand how his disfigurement, like he, it, it, this movie to me presents a Joker that's mad when the script needs him to have madness. He sort of becomes disfigured and then he's like, well, I guess I'll just be this clown and you get scenes like the museum, but you also get scenes where he's just Jack Napier looking like Joker. And so to me, it's just inconsistent about how much of his personality has changed, how much of his psyche has cracked. It doesn't I think that's really on purpose. That. I know. Possibly. I'll get into that a bit later. Um, yeah. But I think, it, I think it's a great reading of the character of the Joker in general because there's always this controversial take. People just assume that he's insane, but we don't actually know the Joker's insane. And so some people, some great writers, have suggested that he's not insane. Right. And that's that what kind of makes it scarier. That's the Morrison stuff of super sanity, right? Exactly. Also, can I just do a shout out for um, uh, Knox here? Oh, yeah. All these douchebags being like, hey, the Batman doesn't exist. Also, he appeared in Crisis on Infinite Earths, which is great. Oh, that's hysterical. What was he doing in that? Was he still... Uh... He was playing Knox. <laughs> well, I know he was playing Knox, but like, was he... Was it building on 89? Like, like he had already lived this, or was it a new... Thing. No, yeah, it was the, it was the eighty nine world. That's awesome. Hey, Vicky Vale, one of my favorite comic characters that n doesn't nearly get enough um, airing, I think, in modern sort of material. Apart from the Arkhamverse, which did a really great uh, representation of Vicky. Yeah, I liked uh, Vicky, sort of the on-the-scene on, on the scene reporter in that game as well, in Arkham City. Um, in this movie, I think that her character as written is a little forgettable, but I think that Kim Basinger is doing a good job overall, and I think that her and Keaton have good chemistry. I do like the fact when she keeps screaming about stuff and she's like seeing like death cults and like, like massacres. Right. Yeah. Like you've seen some of the most horrific stuff in the world. Like you're an award winning like war photographer, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and then it's like this clown, I'm falling. Yeah. I think that's a, tr that's definitely of the era, you know, of, of 70s, 80s, 90s films of people are only as brave and intelligent as you need them to be for their backstory, but they don't always have to act that way. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about I like, this guy. I like the character of Grissom because while they don't necessarily use comic accurate like names, they don't use like those sort of names. And look, to nod to what you were saying earlier about is this him before and after. Look at the color of that suit. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. There is sort of that element in his cards and stuff like that. So again, it could it could be the the super sanity thing of it's an it's an opportunity. Like maybe the white skin doesn't break him so much as he's like 
all right, I know how to play this type thing. Um, yeah. And, and I think it's what it's um, a mirror of what Gotham represents rather than Batman coming in and solving Gotham. That's not what happens. He's just a reflection of what Gotham does to you. It introduces Batman. It makes him into the Joker. Also, we'll, we'll get, get, we'll get more into that cyclical stuff later on with the whole, you know, spoilers uh, for a movie that is over 30 years old, but the Joker being responsible for Bruce's origin stuff. This is a running theme that I love in this film. This quote of your number one guy. The poison chalice. <laughs> it's so great when, when Joker says it later. Like they both know what's going on to happen. <laughs> It also represents, obviously, Grissom as a representation of what Gotham was pre-Batman. That's true, and that's something that I think that all of the directors... I mean, Snyder hasn't really tried to do the Bob stuff, but the uh, it seems like Matt Reeves is doing that as well in the Batman. Nolan, obviously, with uh, Falcone and Maroney. Um, yeah. I always like the idea of... You know, it's, it's you have eaten well. You know, like, that's so built into modern Batman at this point of things used to be great. And I think that Snyder and Capullo with the court adding, you know, the macabre sort of super science, um, culty aspect to that as well. Like it's, there's so many layers to what this city was that it would still be a peculiar place, even if it didn't have Batman. Yeah. And in fact, Batman's uh, presence, um, seems to shake things up for the worse in some cases, because obviously beforehand he had the mob, and you had the police, and they're not so different, obviously, in Gotham and in the real world. Right. Um, and once Batman's on the scene, what happens? We get the Joker, we get the Riddler, we get all these like theatrical villains. Also, Michael Gow is just an incredible Alfred. Yeah, he he's, he's performs Alfred really well. I just wish that Alfred had more of a... Not an arc. I mean, it's unfair to expect an arc, but he just doesn't really have much to do um, there's not a lot of weight to him but he is very charming um i do want to address something really quick it's been almost 20 minutes and this is the first time we're seeing bruce that would never happen today no and i love it the way it's introduced like she doesn't know that he's bruce and he's intrigued by that this woman who doesn't know that he's the you know this billionaire and alfred in the background like <laughs> just picking the pen up Here we go again. <laughs> uh, keeping this man's life together. I just love the idea. Like Bruce is so intrigued by Vicky because she's turned up to his house. He is like this billionaire and she knows she doesn't know it's him. So right. to him personally, that's intriguing because I'm sure he's so used to people, you know, it's that, and it's also, you know, depending on, I mean, everyone that's listening to this, including, and the two of us, everybody has their own interpretation of the classic question, 
which Bruce is real? Is it Bruce when he's alone with Alfred? Is is it all a mask and only Batman is real, et cetera, et cetera? But you know, most interpretations will agree that Bruce in public, the public facing Playboy, is entirely a fabrication. So it's almost like here he is hosting this thing. That's work for him, you know, creating that Bruce's work for him, and to see the work just completely not even affect some person, one person that he doesn't know is going to shake up his world. I do like that Gordon seems to be concerned about... (laughs) It's funny too, but it's also just like, oh, my corrupt cop. Maybe I should have gotten him off the force if I knew he was corrupt. (laughs) And I think that's a good thing because it shows you like, where are all the police and the mayor and everyone? They're at this party. (laughs) Save the festival. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my god yeah I, I, gordon <laughs> gordon in all four of the burton schumacher films is such a clown i mean he, he, we haven't reached peak gordon clownness yet um but, but we're, we're gonna get there but uh michael keen is brilliant in this film and this bit where he they're like mocking him and then he like goes out and explains it is just so good and then she realizes that oh shit <laughs> this is batman oh bruce wayne sorry Knox is the worst reporter. I was about to say, I was like, aren't you guys like world, especially Vicky, like a worldly like Pulitzer winning? Uh, by the way, Knox is a great representation of a reporter because the first thing he does is say, can I have some money, please? <laughs> Shout out to all the journalism majors out there. And this is a nice little hit, like, great writing is because Bruce knows about so Bruce knows he's a good investigator he's investigated them both he knows about their stuff and when he says that I know that he's not just saying that yeah absolutely I mean I have no doubts I mean and this is not in the film but I you know just knowing this character there are certain cornerstones that for me personally all Batman takes have to have no matter how much of an interpretation it is. And there are certain cornerstones that we all bring in certain tenets. And one of those is that there is 0% chance that he lets people into Wayne Manor without knowing everything about every single person on the guest list. This is what I mean about Bruce, like being near the beginning of his career. Sort of like the, you know, and look, he gave him a grant. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> this is a great shot. It just shows Bruce's distrustful nature and the fact that he has to have, you know, an eye on everything. Yeah, I need paranoia in my Bruce Wayne. I need a, you know, I need Bruce with no Bat family to be at his most distrusting. Absolutely. 
and I also am just a sucker for this cave. I think it's one of the things that none of the other, I mean, the, the, the Schumacher version of this cave, you know, it's an extrapolation. They are sequels, but they go a little too far into the brightness. I think this is the perfect bat cave and none of them have gotten close to getting it. I think as just perfectly feeling, uh, Nolan didn't even give him a cave until the third film. And even then it was just like some rising platforms. This is just right. Absolutely. Do you mean shoot to kill? <laughs> the guy on the right is like, what the fuck? <laughs> shoot to kill, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so are we under the impression that Axis is a front for one of the mobsters, right? For Grissom? I'm or is he just it. straight up robbing? Look at Bob. <laughs> Bless his heart. Bob is one of those standouts. He's the Boba Fett of this movie, really. Yeah, that's a great description. <laughs> he's, just, he's always been a standout. Dude, the guy had, literally has action figures. I also love, um, I don't know if you like the band Hot Chip, but they've got a song called Ready for the Floor. Great dance album. And the entire video and song was based on this film because they love the lyric, uh, the, the, the phrase, you're my number one guy. Um, so there's a pointless fact for you all. I enjoyed that pointless fact. I love Gordon just being like <laughs> in my tux. I really like the idea that Gordon does care about, you know, being good, but he's so. This is so. This is a GCPD that's so used to the system as it is, and he is a bit more progressive, but obviously not like like <laughs> Chris. I'm just like, see, you like, uh, yeah, I, I guess like, like sort of like again. This is not a, a, a pro or con for the movie. This is not a, a conversation about the movie really at all. But I think that headcanon for that Gordon would probably be like he's trying to fire, like he's trying to fire these guys like five times probably, and and, and police unions and stuff just keep saving them. Well, that or just like there's not enough people who want to sign up to be part of this you know police force in this town. Again, I love the old timey sound effects. Add to the timelessness of the the film. Like they dress up as nineteen thirties gangsters, but this is clearly the eighties. I love the way that uh, that Keaton's Batman lands. It's very otherworldly. Yeah, he doesn't come down with a thud, but it also doesn't even look like real gliding. It's it's very unique to Keaton's. Even Kilmer and, and Clooney don't really have that. I love Gordon's reaction. <laughs> and i guess that that adds again like he, I, I still think he's too established as as an operation to be a year one but just gordon's reaction right there does say that they've never encountered each other face to face highly toxic but the you know the policemen are all right This is a great uh, set. Uh, nothing gets me, you know, <laughs> sexually aroused like the, the backwards Batman punch. 
Ah, <laughs> oh, man, I love how much he flares his cape when he walks. It's so cheesy. It's great. It's so good. And I think to point out again about Jack Nicholson in this film, he takes this seriously. He isn't an actor that obviously has been paid a lot of money for this film, but he hasn't gone in just being like, I'll do the least effort. You can believe his character in this film. He's fair as well. I do like the, uh, you know, once you, <laughs> Bob, once you have the context of Napier killed the Waynes, you know, him kicking the pistol out of his hand, and then we have an insert shot of the pistol on the ground, that does actually add a little bit of weight. And to be clear for, for listeners, I don't like the fact that Napier killed the Waynes, but I did just notice that connection. And Bruce doesn't know it yet either. No, he does. This is just a thing he does for everyone. Yeah. That's great. Look at his confusion. <laughs> he's like, am I high? <laughs> but he's also like bemused a little bit, you know? Like he's sort of like, huh. I love this, this line. This guy's good. Think about the future. Like he could just leave now, but he's too impulsive. And that leads into the whole theatricality of him later on. That smile. Ooh, I like the wrist block. Forgot about that. Yeah, and that's what tears the uh, the nerves in his face. That's why he smiles. Like it goes through the two sides of his face. Can you see? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice, nice. So nice. when, so later on, the doctor and he'll explain it. He'll explain that he tried to fix him as best as he could, but it, the, the nerves are severed. And, and then it's just the, probably internally burned now. Yeah. With all the extra acid intake. That's good. I, I haven't seen this in so long. I forgot that there was science behind the smile. I like how 60s Batman that is, like shadows behind the windows and stuff. Yeah. It knows it's a comic book, and that's what I appreciate. And I love that he's still a threat right now to the P, uh, GCPD. This factory is like, the building is so impractical. And again, another thing where Ace Chemicals became what it is in the comics because of the imagery here. Look at that. Let that hand shot be a lesson for Warner Brothers executives. You had your warning about what Burton would do when he was unleashed. <laughs> in returns so don't act like you were surprised when he <laughs> delivered penguin and catwoman oh bless him Man. I love Vicky's outfits in this film as well Stately Wayne Manor. Do you think that there's a, and I think there is, but do you, you know, what, what do you think about the line between Margot Kidder's Lois and Kim Basinger's Vicky 
Yeah, I think there's something there. I well, them being both being strong journalists. Not just the journalist thing, but I just think that you know because Margot Kidder, like Kim Basinger, was really the the successor in terms of the you are the love interest, and like this being like the biggest comic book smash since Christopher Reeve. Like, do you think that they were thinking about? Do you think they chose a journalist character because of Margot Kidder? Do you think that they made choices in this film based around her or even the Reeves film in general? I just think it's a sort of a generic trope in the comics. Obviously, Vicky Bell was a character who was a journalist. Um, and it just ties into the whole of introducing Gotham. Right. Oh, I just want to say I love this sequence. Bruce is so used to eating by himself. He doesn't even realize he doesn't like. Yeah, he because he probably doesn't even process his surroundings unless someone else is there to see them, you know? Like he's not, he's the last time he ate in this room was probably with his family. And he's seeing Wayne Manor through the eyes of a guest, which he normally doesn't do. Exactly. Um, and also that, that scene I think is the basis for a hilarious sequence in Lego Batman about him eating alone, which is great. Uh, and I love this, this family sequence. It shows you that Bruce did find a family with Alfred. And also how happy Alfred is to entertain a guest, something that, um, carries on with um, Michael Caine's as well. How happy Michael Caine is to have Rachel back and everything, and even Jeremy Irons as Alfred is just begging Bruce to make a human connection. Yeah, of course. Like that line, he loves me. He loves you a lot. Bruce looks at her and he says, you know, sometimes I wonder if Alfred has a niece who's American. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Maggie. <laughs> oh, she's a terrible journalist. <laughs> yeah, he's like, Have you been to Gotham before, Miss <laughs> Miss Vale? He's like, let me just put some more drink. And again, like that, that, that line right there ties into the idea that uh, he, because he hasn't seen the eyes, seen it through the eyes of a guest or the eyes, through the eyes of his own parents, um, he's pretty probably feels like Batman in Wayne Manor. And so it all seems trivial and unimportant, you know, like to him, Wayne Manor is probably all the cameras behind the walls. Yeah. And for him, Wayne Manor is, is not his house. It's a memorial to his parents. Exactly. I love the scene. The The dialogue, again, show not tell, but they kind of do both here. And I enjoy that. Very horror film-esque. I love it when uh, criminals in film have doctors that are scumbags. I know. Some back alley. I saw that you had a card in your pocket and I thought that was a good look. Look, he's actually distraught and then he finds it hilarious. I love it. (laughs) 
I lost my medical license. <laughs> no new tools. I think this is what I was talking about earlier, like in terms of he is still Jack, but he he is gone a little bit. Yeah, and I guess it might be a matter of preference or the fact that we've seen other takes. I like a Joker that is the Joker that, you know, Hamill's, you know, Joaquin's, Ledger's, what they all have in common is that whatever man that was there, if there ever was one, if there ever, you know, could have been one, is distinctly destroyed and that the Joker is the creature. Uh, uh, that's interesting because I think that actually that's not the case with Mark Hamill's Joker. I think that Hamill's, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess, but, and I know that there is like some precedent for that. He, I think Hamill's Joker has the mob origin too, right? Yeah, and there's an actual distinct, like he gets involved a bit more serious in that one as well, Mark of the Phantasm. And we'll talk about that. Um, but this scene is one of my favorite scenes of all time. Is that you, Sugarlumps? <laughs> it's me, Sugarlumps. <laughs> He's so good. This is the one of the best reveals of all time. The, the the lighting, the darkness, and the light, and on here just comes out the shadows. Oh, I've run out of drink. I better go to get some more. There's no gun in the drawer, I promise. <laughs> Look at that act drop. <laughs> He's so good. My favorite line here. Jack's dead, my friend. <laughs> and the music. I love the, the, the music when, when Joker does stuff in this film. <clears throat> <laughs> this is what I love about the Joker. He's just reveling in it. There's nothing holding him back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, again, I've never thought that Nicholson is bad. I just think that, I don't know, it, it doesn't feel to me as next level, like as dis there needs to be some sort of either vocal choice or something. I mean, yeah, there's the laugh, but I don't know. To me, it just feels like there's steps missing in the transformation or, or something like, I don't understand what his, um, what the theme behind his character is. I mean, your read on it, I like a lot, but I think that a lot of that is also, about Gotham in general, and that theme could be applied to Cobblepot and Nigma and a bunch of other people too. But that's the point. It's like, but he's the he's the start of it. Like this is a guy who, 
Wait, well, look, he says it here, like. Like, he wants control, he wants power. And him becoming the Joker liberates him. And he realizes that the theatricality of Batman, like, unintentionally, he does. Uh, and this bit, uh, this is what I love about his Joker. That yeah, is very uh, Romero. Feel, it is. It is very Romero. And I and I like the the idea that, you know, it's the way to like get a load of me, like the one-upsmanship. I like the escalation. I mean, that's a big thing um, that, you know, Gary Oldman's Gordon touches on when talking to Batman. But at the same time, I think that there's 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 a lack of, of fleshing out in terms of why Joker stays within sort of the structure i I know he takes it over and makes it obviously more joker-esque you know he'll do very jokery things later on in the movie but i don't know is this joker about chaos is this joker about revenge on the mob system is this joker about he hates the city is this joker want to rule the city is like there are definitions in terms of character want change that i think are left on the table because they had Jack Nicholson, and I think he he carries a lot of it with his Nicholsonness. Oh, I think it's clear what he wants. It's power. Like he's, everything he wants and needs, he gets, and he expects that. He wants the money from the Waynes, so he gets it. He takes it. He wants uh, the woman. Yeah. <laughs> and the painting in the back. <laughs> I like the the changing Joker outfits. Um, but yeah, I just don't, I don't know if Joker wanting power to me is ultimately that interesting. Like, I don't think that, like, I think that, and again, well, it's different to... interpretations, but yeah, I think that Joker would have just bombed this room, you know, inter if he was really not Jack anymore. Like, I like the super sanity theory, um, that you brought up that, that is in more recent works, but I don't think that this. Yeah, like see, like this stuff right here with the the painting himself to be Jack again for the benefit of of blending into the room. I don't think is Joker stuff. He does it in the comics, though, and that's fine. I mean, I, it does. I might not work for me there as well. Like like Batman killing. Like I know this isn't the only movie where Batman kills, but I think it is. You know, I love this. I like it too, just because of how dumb and sci fi it is. It's great. This is what I love about this is what I mean about the comic element. People go, "Oh, this isn't realistic." And it's I don't like, care oh, about yeah, realism. of course it's not. Yeah. It's I don't care about realism. He's the he's the Joker. He's our time in the old town tonight. <laughs> How did he get it? He's, it doesn't really matter. And this is what I mean about the whole power. Look, the mob have gone from what they were before. To wearing these jackets with the Joker's face on it. <laughs> I love that when he rubs the. That used to horrify me as a kid in a good way. 
And it kind of reminds me of the Dark Knight. It's the same tactic. It's the same tactic in the Dark Knight, but I think the Dark Knight has a lot more clarity of character. Because, because it he, has to be, because that is more realistic. I don't think it's about realism, though. I think re- realistic is... Realis- realism comes down to, you know, universe building and tropes. Like, that hand buzzer is not realistic. But I think that motivations are not... Motivations can be just as flushed out jealous. across cartooniness or realism or grounded like i think that those words you know it's not an excuse that this movie is less realistic that it's its characters are more i don't know like again like hamill's joker is more cartoony than nicholson's but i understand that guy i mean he has theme statements for himself you know like uh you know in almost got him and then things like that or iconic episodes whereas this joker like yeah it's like wait till they get a load of me i want power but what the dark knight does with the same setup of flipping it on the mob is he's making the point that that stuff doesn't matter he burns the mob money i don't know what the joker's point is once he gets power is he taking control to destroy this city is he taking control because what to what end even in Batman Forever, which some people would say is a lesser film, I would say it's a better film. Um, I understand what Nigma's end game is. <laughs> he wants to control that. minds, but why? Um, I have an answer for that, and I have an answer for this, and I think it's what I said earlier. It's, it's in terms of Jack is a... Rep- the Joker is Jack is just a bit more enhanced. Jack wants to be in control. He always wants to be in control. So that's what the Joker wants. He just does it in a bit more crazier element of him. And I like that because it's not like this is just him evolved the same way that Batman is just eight-year-old Bruce Wayne enhanced. I guess, but at the same time, then my question would be, then should we have spent more time with Napier explaining why Napier... I don't think we need that. that anyway. I think he's just the process of Gotham, like we saw earlier in the film. These are just normal, ordinary people that have been chewed up and spit out by the, by the system. He's just constantly growing, and this back and the forth, like people that have a like they get spit. By the way, I just I don't want to interrupt my flow, but I do because of this sequence I love it so much. This is a good sequence. And it just proves that you don't, again, show, not tell. Bruce doesn't have to be like, this is for my parents. He's doing it. He's visually showing you it and how important that is to him. But yeah, just to say like the whole, the Joker is like Gotham takes people and evolves them. Whether that beforehand it was evolving them in terms of he goes from the lowly gangster to higher up. He's supposed to be killed off, but instead he turns into this other thing and he just utilizes that to take more power. And again, like we see earlier on, he doesn't really care about the people. He'll kill them off in a second, without a second's notice. And that's all well and, and good. But I think that what this movie, where this movie stumbles in, and again, we haven't gotten to it yet, and Bruce doesn't know, but it's it makes it a, a personal story where they're not just products, where they are intrinsically tied rivals, very intrinsically tied, where Napier is responsible for Bruce. And so I think that with that personal lens needed to be something of 
why is and i'm not saying we need to see napier's freaking childhood or anything like that but i am saying that there needs to be a reason for me why power is so important to him because with nigma you know i brought him up you know riddler and joker being not the same character not similar characters really in in style but i know that nigma has been disregarded and abused i see how he lives how he lives in squalor and all those things where napier what they've given me so far is that he's tired of his boss and then he has a couple character traits that can be elevated i don't really understand it's like any gangster or any sort of criminal like they just want that power for themselves right and but i, I don't think that's, that's in the, i don't think that's in the movie i don't know he's sleeping with the wife's boss uh, with, with, with the boss's wife I feel like he, it's clear that he wants that power. He's he's more he's younger. He's more respected by obviously those people like Bob. By the way, I just want to say that this mime is scarier than the Joker. How dare you! This mime has always creeped me out. Every time I've seen this film, I remember it. This Look mime, Bruce is like up. I think it's because the mime is close like, to the kid. This is what I love like Gotham in general. Like Bruce just saw a mime. He's like, okay, fair enough. He's like, yeah, whatever. It's the Tuesday mimes. The Tuesday Mimes by City Hall. And that's the thing about, I love about this film as well, is that Gotham aren't necessarily, like they're freaked out by Batman just in general. But by the time the Joker turns up, it's kind of like the norm now. And that's what we see in the comics as well, and that's what I like about this. And Here's this an whole interesting... sequence, oh, opposite Monarch Fear... So I was going to ask you, in your opinion, just of this world, it's interesting that you said, like, at this point, Gothamites have been, I like that, have been uh, conditioned to say, oh, well, something like the Joker or Mimes on the streets, I wouldn't bat an eye, and Batman is unique. Do you think that this Joker is the first costume villain that Batman has fought? Yes. And that's why this film is important, because it shows you that. It's Batman having an effect on criminals. Look at that. He got shot for the coat. And it doesn't affect him at all. And I love that. And he knows, oh, that's Napier shit. I thought I got rid of that guy. <laughs> also, this scene happens across the fair where his parents died. And that's what the thing I like about the Napier thing as well. Like, Again, these are different universes. They're not supposed to be specifically 100% like the comic. And the whole Napier attacking Bruce doesn't affect me as much. We'll go into it a bit later, but because he's still a random person. And even though that later on, there is that, obviously he's the Joker now. So there is a direct link. He's still, he was still a random person of Gotham who has been affected by this the same way that affected Bruce. And That's it was random. True. It's That's random. True. That's what but makes it horrifying. Not because it's, it's a random guy. Like, uh, just because it's Joe Chill. But it's random. The act is random, but the fact that the film makes it Napier is supposed to add a personal element for us and for Bruce. So even though we, as Batman fans, understand that, yes, the fact that it was this child was random, this child who you took away his parents, the movie is is shifting at the end of the second act to make it about these two guys. And I don't think that we get 
enough these two guys to justify that. I would rather this movie for me is improved a lot if that personal stuff never comes into it because by the time it does, we're not having um, you know, Dark Knight interrogation scenes. And again, I'm not saying that that would fit in this film, but we're not having a, a one-to-one showdown. You know, this is not Wrath of Khan where there's discussions between Batman and Joker. Um, there is, that the, comes there is in. a discussion. Yeah, and I, I, you're talking about the pale moonlight scene. You made me, I made you. Like, I love that. Because it, it's not important. The film brings it up to directly because the Batman and the Joker are these two archetypes of two like the, they're a split coin but and that is it's kind of like it's showing you that it's important but it's also not important which is why when the Joker dies I'm not that bothered by it see but I don't like I, I'm fine with you made me I think that that's fine I'm I'm way less fine with the I made you because I think that to me the fact that at that point, the catalyst, the epitome, the genesis, all of these things that Joker becomes then contextually for the Batman mission, when he if if it's if this movie really does want to hinge itself on I made you, you made me, then Joker should have been the villain for the second one. He should have had a presence in the third one. Then it really should have been the Batman and Joker saga. At this point, it's like Batman has defeated his greatest personal enemy at this point. The mission, the person that took his parents away, has now been defeated. Every villain is now lesser because they have added that personal tie. And that is a good reading, and I, I appreciate why people don't like that. But for me, it I like it because the Joker didn't kill Batman's parents. Jack Napier, the random gangster, did. And at the point, he isn't even properly a gangster. He's just like some sort of... He's a thug, yeah. He's a thug. And I appreciate that too. And I totally understand and respect that reading. But at the same time, I think that the script is trying to have its cake and eat it too, which has always bothered me, where it's like, you know, it it wants us to separate Jack and Joker for that thematic exploration, but it, it doesn't want us to separate Jack and Joker for when Jack is taking over here. Yeah, and I think that's in, and that's to me is, is interesting because I think the character of the Joker is definitely an evolution of Jack, but he has a reason to do stuff here. Like he wants the power. I don't think he wanted the power of the Waynes. He just he's impulsive as well. I, I feel like that was a random act, and to him. That's why the line you want me to say "I made you" make is great because it's like he doesn't even care that he killed the Waynes. Like it's not, it's nothing to him. I also love this idea of him. He's he's using the CIA files and all these horrible chemical weapons. He buys out Axis chemicals, and then he's just recreating them and putting them in the products. This is a nothing uh, observation, but I've always enjoyed that Tim Burton gave Joker a hat, uh, a killing joke hat. We don't get a lot of hat, Joker. We do not. Also, I really like this. People talk about um, the Dark Knight Returns in terms of visual elements like the Batman suit in the no, uh, the Snyderverse. This is purely from the 80s comics. This is pure killing joke, pure uh, Dark Knight Returns, the news. 
oh oh my god yeah the new the news broadcast is straight up you know all those panels everything talking about the heat wave and all that stuff also oh, this used to freak me out as a kid and it truly still is those models are horrifying that the use yes. of the joker gas nothing has been as horrifying as this even the dark knight stuff for me like the the fear gas uh, the sorry not the fear gas the uh, the joker gas always freaked me out more yeah, I mean, this movie straight up is, yeah, it's a lot of Miller, but it's also, you know, Laughing Fish and things like that. It's pure, yeah, Denny O'Neill. And the whole laughing into becoming that is terrifying. And I know that the whole chaos thing is also, like, in post 9-11 is terrifying, but this is pure horror. The face is just horrible, and this advert is great. <laughs> That's why I love the Joker. I yeah, I like that this Joker, this is one thing that I like about it, which is, to me, separate from character arc necessarily, which which have been my criticisms, but the, the, the staples and the way that he executes crimes, like putting all this effort in just for his own enjoyment, are things that I think, um, not, I wouldn't say Ledger's take was missing because it wasn't, it wouldn't have fit in that story. No, it, it's not that, part of that version of that character. It, yeah, it's not, but modern Jokers overall um, I think are missing that to a certain extent. Oh, and, horrifying. Like we didn't get any of this now with our last three live action jokers. So I'm hoping that by the time that there is a fourth that we can get back a little bit to a joker who appreciates a good bit. And that's why I love Jack's Joker. He's still um my favorite. I think my favorite is the cop out answer of Hamill and it and I was I'm not cop out because it's not as valid, but cop out because it's not a oh, I mean, if we're going to say Hamill, then I mean yeah. live action. Yeah, live and action. Go, yeah. Live action, I'm, I'm going to go Ledger, but I, I totally get the appreciation for this one as well. I also love how this doesn't phase Bruce. This is what I mean about his, you know, upbringing. Age 15. Charlie, I live in America, all right? I've I've seen things. <laughs> <laughs> I like that he's got a chemistry degree as well, because no one really delves into that with the Joker. Like, yeah, out of no age, he just becomes good at chemistry. <laughs> so that's not the first one that's happened between Alfred and Bruce. This is also a weird thing, uh, probably even more specific than I like Joker's hat. Michael Keaton's eyebrows are perfect for Bruce Wayne. Oh yeah, for sure. His facial I also love structure, this as well. uh, how the actors aren't wearing makeup is great. Oh yeah, and the idea that everyone in Gotham is like not using deodorant <laughs> because they might die. Also, what's kind of horrifying in a reflection of society in general was the fact that this woman, this newsreader, died on air, and they just replaced her, and that's fine. I love how done Harvey is with everything in this movie. <laughs> For anybody listening to this that may know uh, Charlie and I from our respective Star Wars podcasts, this Billy D is how I picture uh, Lando hunting for Ochi of Bestoon. <laughs> <laughs> it's the right amount of years afterward. I also find it funny because even though... 
people know us from the podcast Star Wars stuff. We've actually known each other for like ten plus years from just in this. like comics, Twitter, and stuff. Yeah, just comics for her. I love, I love this. And the, how the artwork was reflective. Also horrifying is what he did to her. Yeah, the, fa the face stuff there is really creepy. Did you ever as a child think that that was Harley Quinn? Like not knowing, obviously, when Harley was created? Um, do you know what? Yeah. Because I think I have memories. Like I didn't know that Harley was a 90s animated creation. So I think as yeah, a kid course. seeing this, I was like, Oh, a blonde, you know, you know, somewhat sultry sidekick for for the Joker. Is that what he's turning her into? And I wonder if Deanie saw this film, Deanie and Bruce Tim, and, and riffed on that a little bit for her creation. George Washington in the background. <laughs> I also love like the art deco of the whole burn Gotham. I really love Art Deco, so this whole it always fits for me. Yeah, I like Especially that the too. Verse. One thing that excites me a lot, and again, you know, people that are seeing listening to this after the fact, you may have seen more Matt Reeves Batman footage, but he did talk a little bit about using Liverpool and then using CG to enhance it with other structures, and that really excited me to think that maybe he might create some things like this. And look at the bow and the terrible font; it's so good. And as we see this again in the Arkhamverse and that sort of, you know, the theatricality of the Joker is never really, apart from his outfit. The color scheme. Gotham is very mute in colors. And then Batman goes one way, he goes darker. And the Joker goes the other way, which is great. Yeah, Batman is seeking to blend in, whereas Joker is giving the middle finger to the city. We're gearing up here for one of the best scenes in any comic book movie. And it can be taken completely out of context and still enjoyed as a 10 out of 10. 100%. Also, Alden, if I die, can you make sure that I die via head and spaghetti? Absolutely. Thank you. And I will do the Prince dance. Lawrence? <laughs> I love that that guy's called Lawrence. I want to know if that was a uh, like a on the spot bit of dialogue or like oh that his name is Lawrence or the whole line. I, I want I want that to be something that Jack Nicholson came up with. Also, yeah, using Party Man by Prince is great. Having no and having no respect for the art, it's just like yeah, I just love it. Oh hell, looking in town. Joker was here. <laughs> stupid <laughs> what I love as well is that these guys who work for the Joker didn't go okay Jack's going crazy they're like this is great <laughs> they're embracing it's a much more fun working environment him hopping right there on one leg is an image that I'll never forget it's so good. Also, have they ever sold these nice like bomber jackets, these Joker jackets? Because they need to. They need to, right? Warner Brothers, get on this. 
<laughs> He's like, yeah, leave that. <laughs> also, like, kudos to these actors in the background, the extras. Like, had their face in spaghetti. Also, Lawrence in particular is just a great extra. He's he's terrific. I love how uh, he has two tapes, Prince and this. <laughs> this is me when I'm trying to get a journalism job. <laughs> Horrifying. I also love the fact that they used court Maltese. Sorry, I was distracted by Jack's tongue. He's taking it. <laughs> um, I love this. <laughs> Do I look like I'm joking with that face? It's great. Did Bruce mention that he did an art degree as well? I can't remember. I don't think so at this point. When I just read out the list of like chemistry, was it art as well? Yeah, I don't think so. I will say, I think that I, I like all this dialogue. I think it's it's good dialogue, and I think that it is uh, delivered extremely well by Nicholson. I just, again, in terms of establishing Jack and Joker, as we've talked about, I think that you know, we saw that he likes the the deck of cards. He has a lucky one. Ooh, this reveal. That's gnarly. Um, but I think that his, um, maybe if he was shown to be particularly sadistic, we know that he's the, the number one guy at that point. He just murdered everyone in this museum. <laughs> I know, no, no, no. I, I mean, I mean, as Jack, like to see, to see if that art was a through line throughout maybe the character of Jack. Uh, maybe you know before the ace chemicals incident i mean like that like something that could have established that 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 he cared about that a little bit more that he was brutal maybe and that's why he never ascended to control something like that establish that and then pay it off with the i am the first artist i think could have been effective i love the flower and this is this is this is i love this so much (laughs) sorry the boo and she actually seems concerned, which I like as well. <laughs> Bit of wire work that you can see, but it's okay because it's Batman. So you, you know. it might just be a cable. Yeah, who cares? 
a, a gadget we would later get in Arkham, the zip line. And of course, this line is just perfect for the Joker. Such a good design. What a gorgeous design. The Art Deco. The, this is what I love about the Batmobile. This is what I don't like about the whole tank of it all. It yeah, doesn't have again, to be a tank. Contextually, it some... it's fine. But for that Nolan verse that was sort of afraid of its source material, I feel at times, whatever. But yeah, I feel like it's about this one. In the Nolan verse, it was good because that was the first time they did that. When they did it with Snyder, it was like, okay. Yeah, and Snyder's tried to be a longer car and tried to be a marriage, but it didn't have any of the style. Also, again, to talk about Gotham in general, there's police chasing cars painted green with the Joker's face on it, chasing the Batmobile. And there's just people on the street like, oh, every normal day. I actually like, manure! you know, I hate manure. <laughs> aesthetics aside, you know, we've established that we both like this Gotham. Even, you know, just, just looking at like the fact that it clearly is a set I like. Yes. There's something old Hollywood about it. And that's what I think is missing. Like this, it doesn't have to f- be realistic. And I think the old Hollywood stuff of it adds to that. And that's the, the weird timelessness of it. Like the gunshot sounds, the the sets, the you know, look at this. <laughs> He's just oh, running, but, and everyone's like, "But poor Keaton, not being able to turn the head." I mean, the costume is a good design, but I'm so glad we evolved. I love this too. Oh, the lockdown version. I love it whenever they show someone trying to get into the Batmobile. This is just so much fun to watch. How much do you weigh? <laughs> the first date. Very rude, Bruce. I also love the gag that she's like, like he has to actually know how much she weighs because it's important. She's like, um, 108? We'd all do it. We'd all lie about our weight. Oh, for sure. I'll take back what I said about her being like in the corner, Matisse, because if that happened to me, I would be fucking screaming as well. His wallet. <laughs> oh, Vicky. Ever the journalist. The only thing about, and it's it's a criticism I have of all four of the uh, Burton Schumachers, that we didn't nail for me is action. I mean, it's not the only thing that we didn't nail, uh, but I, I just think that the action in these is 
kind of uninspired. I like it. I love how you, you, you set up a great comment, and I'm like, I like it. I also love how this seems to be set up in terms of a Indiana Jones type. And then we have, like, a bit of fighting and then the kick. Oh, yeah, that's the super skilled swordsman. Bob's the only smart one. Again, the Boba Fett of this film. Very dated, but I like that about it. Yeah, that uh, that effect actually works, I think, because again of the timelessness of the movie, that the it almost looks like stop motiony when the shields retract. Yeah, I also love this bit where um, Batman keeps scaring Vicky, and the stop. <laughs> This is my Crushed favorite it. scene. This is my favorite scene of all cinema in terms of a comic book. The music. Look at this. Look at those trees, that tree shot, the gothic nature of it. It's like straight out. It's like Tim Burton's dream right here. It's straight out of the comics. I, I truly love this so much. This is the scene I'd show people if they want to do films. Also, look, Vicky's inquisitive. She's trying to look into him. She's kind of scared. And she's probably doing that thing that, you know, a good journalist would do, an inquisitive mind of trying to figure out her own location. Absolutely. And she keeps trying to look at, look at this shot. Oh, the score. My goodness. This is pure Batman to me. This is why I love this film. Also, there's a bit where about she's about to try to stare into his eyes and try and figure out who he is. And so he puts the light on to like freak her out and like push her away a bit. And this is what I love about Batman is terrifying. But she's like, who's this guy? He's like, nope. And then she's like, oh shit. And I love that the hollow projection. The operatic kick in right there as they entered is really good. And she's like, this is my night. I also like any Batmobile with a singular flame shooting out of the back. Yes. It's a really good design choice that uh, Pattinson's Batmobile also has, which I love. And it reflects Gotham, the Art Deco nature of it. Right. Again, this cave's great. I got to say, I, I, I want to apologize to Kim Basinger. I remember, not to her performance, uh, I guess to, is it Tim Burton's script? I can't remember who wrote this film. Um but I remembered Vicky being way more of a useless damsel. She she has a reasonable amount of damsel. Yeah. And again, that's the nature of the time. Yeah. It's not as egregious as, as some other films. It's, it, she's not, uh, you know, it's not Temple of Doom levels of damsel. This is the best cave. 100%. I love a cave with levels. That's why I also like the Arkham cave. Oh, look, it's a detective. Still not enough detective. I mean, they're not telling that story, which is fine, but I'm he excited. He just saved millions of people, Orton. 
How dare you? <laughs> it's as much detective work as Bale analyzing the ballistics on that one round. Uh, yeah. It's just one throwaway detective line. We still have yet to get detective Bruce. No, but we did see it. He investigated him. He found out he was a chemist. He did a chemistry degree. <laughs> he took Chem 1 at Gotham U. <laughs> he didn't go to Chem U. Uh, Gotham U. What are you talking about? He got it from that doctor guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, the disgraced guy in the alley. I love this. Look at that shot with the eyes. And that line as well. How dare you um, belittle his mission when the world does stuff like it did to him? I love that she's a teddy bear. I love that line. Very Hammer-esque there. Which I guess is more of the comic. We should all have a friend like Bob, really. God bless him. Michael Go is such a great actor. If you haven't, I recommend watching him and other stuff. If you're a Doctor Who fan, he is in the classic Doctor Who series as a uh, famous villain. Oh, that's cool. I was just about to ask. So, he seems like the, the type Celestial of guy. Celestial toy maker. Oh, that's great. Michael Keaton made receding hairlines cool. Bless his heart. <laughs> he's he going to be such a, cool. He's going to be such a good old Bruce. I know.
not the best Tinder bio. What was that? Not the best Tinder bio. No. I love this. This is what I was talking about in terms of like, you know, like the whole Burton interpretation of the character. He wants to tell her, but he can't. Bruce doesn't think he's a normal person. No, not at all. I think that he is intelligent enough to realize the distinction. And I I think that Keaton is playing it well. Maybe playing it a bit too light. Um, I think that he's they've established a little bit of a freakness to this Bruce Wayne that I would have liked to have seen a little bit more here. Um, but maybe it's because he's, he's comfortable with Vicky. That and also he's he doesn't want to be like that. He wants the normal life. He wants to have that married and then wake up and breakfast. He doesn't want to be broken, but he is. It's not until the second film I think he realizes that. Yeah, I just think that the Bruce that is like surveilling everybody at his party and like you know doesn't you know just <laughs> disassociates from rooms that he's in that we've seen so far would be a little bit more grim just in the way that he is with people. I think that that's a little bit inconsistent in the Bruce writing of this movie. Uh, I don't think it's grim. I think it's fear. He doesn't trust people. And the first person he gets close to is obviously Vicky. So what the fuck is with Vicky's house? How many weird dolls has she got? <laughs> that Yeah, that one is creepy. The one on the mirror is creepy. She's taking them from war zones? Like, what the hell? <laughs> I'm sorry you're dead child let me take that's, your weird that's not ethical she got popcorn in a bowl <laughs> why she got popcorn that actually fits in her apartment because she has so much creepy crap I know and also he's just straight up amidst the kind of murdering <laughs> Jesus Christ I'm going to throw my popcorn at you, sir. Bob, Bob, just laughing along is great.
I, I hate the let's get nuts. I really do. You do? I do not like the way Bruce handles them here. It's one of the iconic things that actually is one of my least favorite things. I like it because it throws him off. I think he's trying to be like. I just think that Bruce Wayne would know that like. It's it's it's. I love, I love that line. It's Never just a, that, that man's rebuff. It's just a useless play. And Bruce should know that it's a useless play with the way that he operates throughout the rest of the movie. He's so elegant when he's Batman and none of that elegance is representative is represented in that Bruce move whatsoever. I guess because he's trying to, obviously he's also I love the idea that he is getting up right now and leaving. It's like, I don't understand why his move wasn't to disable. It wasn't to engage. You know they're armed for a fact. It just undermines Bruce's intelligence. Well, he knows that he won't affect Vicky. He knows he won't hurt Vicky. <laughs> he's such a... And he's gone. And he got to smash a vase. Yeah, just like so the... Great. Look at that. Look at that. Yeah, I'm like, I know he's trying to strike fear... I guess, but it, it's it's sloppy. It's a scene I that I've never this. liked. This is pure Joker. That I do like. That is cool. But yeah, that, that scene's never worked for me. I don't understand Bruce's play there at all. But he also, he, that's what I think people forget, is that he is messed up, Bruce. He is, but, he's, but this Bruce hasn't been that messed up, you know, where over an hour and 20 minutes into the movie and this Bruce hasn't acted in that way. His unhingedness is very, very cold and understated. It's not that. Alden, he slept upside down. I also love this sequence. The slipping upside down, though, is, is a reserved act that he normally does in privacy. I love this uh, music and like, they don't understand. Like that, Maybe like Gotham got over it and that's kind of horrifying as well. In other sort of forms of media, like everyone knows about the Wayne murders, whereas this is like, who gives a shit? That's the everyday sort of thing. Yeah, this, that does separate this Burton verse that line, from the other ones because... Oh, go ahead about the line. Sorry, like, uh, what do you expect that does to a kid? Right. Vail works it out. Yeah, yeah, I, I do like that. I mean, it is a little... It, it's <laughs> it's a lot better than you're, you're an orphan and I'm an orphan, I'll tell you that. Um... <laughs> Uh, I knew with a look, um, but at the same time, uh, I I do. It's not a good or bad thing. It's just different. This Burton verse, well, you know what you just pointed out that the Wayne murders is not a mythologized event. Whereas you know, it, for them, it's like yeah, you know how many kids got their parents killed. Who cares if it's Bruce Wayne? Other interpretations of Batman, the Waynes are heroes. They are mythologized in Gotham, and the day they died is is a freaking. 9-11 for Gotham, you know? Can we just talk about that line of dialogue as well? Sorry. I don't want to spend the rest of my days grieving over old friends or their son. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah, he Michael has more Kane, Michael Caine uh, walked so... No, wait. Well, what's the phrase? Goff walked so Kane could run. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good line. I mean, it's it's it's, the, it's a direct, you know, it's a direct line between that and I've buried enough members of the Wayne family. 
Gordon, you're the worst cop ever. Mobilize. I love Gotham gangs. This is reflective of Gotham in general. Everyone is like, oh shit, money. I like the double weight of that, obviously, with the who is the real Bruce persona. And I think that that is fine. I think that what Joker just said there is fine, and it is enough for the confrontation. I do not need what is about to happen. For reasons I've already said. I love this scene. The music's great. I also love the bats in the background. I like that too. Good bat performances in this movie. You can feel the pain in Bruce, which I really enjoy. Shooting this upward is a great choice. Yeah. Like it's genuinely traumatic for Bruce. I always, always um, preferred the movie as opposed to the opera. Um, I, I don't feel two ways about it. I guess I just don't ultimately have a preference because I think that the opera works really well for what Nolan was doing. You know, in yeah. that context. But, yeah, I'm just saying. Like, if I had to tell the story myself, oh I'd yeah, if the- I was writing one, I would probably do the Zorro thing too. I don't know if this movie says Zorro or shows it, but I didn't see the poster. But yeah, because I, I like that, you know, the opera is not something that Bruce can revisit throughout his life. I love that Frank Miller wrote that he, you know, he sees Zorro on and things like that on the television later on in his life. There's Bob. Can I just say as well, whoever they got to play this guy? Yes. Yes. It's good casting. It's so good casting. And he looks like the Joker from the comics. <laughs> he hate that line so much, too. It's it's a good it's a cool line, but I don't it doesn't need to be there at all. I love this. This is pure Joker, look.
Oh, that, yeah, that young boy's acting is great. Confusion, fear. I love this. Look at the Batman Bill in the background. It's like, fuck's sake, <laughs> he threw my secret. I think that Bruce might give a little too much in that scene, but I know he's probably like forcing himself in some ways. Like he's desperate to feel that. Yeah, that's what I like about it. And what I like about it even more is obviously with the hindsight of the sequel, is that it doesn't work. <laughs> too late, mate. I love this as well. It's stupid comic book stuff. Wow, that's uh, definitely mass murder. We don't know that it killed them. It literally, don't you start with me. Look at what's happening on screen. <laughs> they are deader than dead. You don't know that. You don't see it. They're dead. They might have escaped. They're, it's they still exploding. It's still exploding. And it's chemicals everywhere. Well, they shouldn't have... Well, for the Joker, should they? Wow. Wow. Thank you, Zack Snyder. Again, you don't see it, so he didn't kill him. <laughs> nice little nod to the future. Denim. Slacks. Jumpers. It's good to see that, that that prostitute is still getting work. Good for her. 
I love this. The idea that they know this guy murdered loads of people with chemicals. And they know he admitted to killing these people. But because he will give up money, and they're like, yeah, sure. We'll dance. <laughs> we'll dance to Prince. I like it to a certain degree. I, I don't necessarily like that this Gotham is painted as irredeemable. I don't think that we get not irredeemable. I don't think they're irredeemable. I don't think they're irredeemable, but just but just garbage. Like aside, the only person that's like really good in this city that we get from the eyes and point of view is the person that just got here in Vicky. Everyone else, like I haven't, you know, I you don't, don't know if that's the case. I feel like Gordon is, but he's a bumbling good. fool who turns a blind he's eye. He's a bumbling fool. Stuff too. He turns a blind eye, but the whole of Gotham does, and Batman brings out the good in people. Does he though? And that's. Yes. I don't think that Burton's shows Batman change in Gotham. If anything, I think he Gotham does. is distinctly worse in Returns. I I don't think that's just necessarily all just Gotham's fault. Because they do embrace Batman. And I think he does make a difference. I think this is a Gotham at the beginning. So we have to judge it on those those elements. The same way when I read year one, I'm like, oh, these people suck. Like, it's, yeah, but not everyone. Even Gordon does stuff that's terrible, but. Yeah, yeah, I guess. It's just, you know, I, I, don't, I don't see as much. I mean, look at Knox. Knox, you know, Knox is at fine. the end of the day, is a, is a good guy. He cares about Vicky. That's great. But yeah, I just see, you know, Gotham... <laughs> that guy's having so much fun. <laughs> I, I love the, the, the Batwing in this. The Batwing is great. But yeah, uh, Gotham, you know, Gotham at its worst is corrupted and it's broken. But I don't think that the movie explores enough. Like, this is not the movie to show how far society would glorify a killer. Like, they glorify a killer. It's not like, it's like he's giving them money and, and they're shown to be broken and they take it with reluctance or they take it with shame or they take it with disgust. They want to be part of the parade. And I don't think that this movie is the one that handles that very maturely. And neither did, neither did I, Todd the Joker, which kind of does the same thing at the end. Just not with mine. I feel like the film does what it can because people do actually run away in fear afterwards and they, they understand their fault and they learn that lesson. I feel like in this film, I will also argue that when you're in, when you're a society that is struggling and pushed to the brink and suffering and you're poor and evil people, you know, come out and offer you a hand, people do fall for that. We yes. see it in history. Yes, but I think that this is different because of the context of the cartoony nature of Nicholson's Joker, one. And two, the fact that he didn't lead with manipulations and getting them on his side. Like if, if it was money first, a money parade first, and then mass murder, that's very different than the mass murder, the chemical genocide, et cetera, et cetera. And then I mean, money. we see it in normal, we see it in society, though. People kill people and get away with it. People kill people and become the president. <laughs> Right, but that's again, that's different. They get into office, you know, like 
Trump hasn't, you know, Trump didn't commit mass murder and then get elected. He got elected and now he's destroying things. You know, I think that this parade scene is in act, you know, the beginning of act two or something like that, that it's, it's very different. And I think it lands better. And then it's like, Oh God, you know, we were all part of the parade. And now this, like that to me teaches them the lesson right here. I see adults that are being stupid because they know that for a fact that this is the guy that has been slaughtering them. Uh, it's, you know, it, to go to a movie that would come out just a year later, uh, the 1990 Ninja Turtles movie. I, I love the way that in that movie shredder is able to be a villain and turn people because they are youth. I think that that would have been, and again, I'm not trying to rewrite this movie, but that works for me because they are the youth. Yeah, that hasn't got a giant bat plane in it, so I don't see your point. I'm trying. Uh, but um, it has it has skateboarding turtles. Yeah, dude. Um, I just love this this visual. Did he do the shot where he hits the moon yet? Did I talk over that? He has not done that yet, no. Okay, because that shot is one of those movie shots that is utterly pointless, but so great. Absolutely. He, for zero reasons, had to do that aside from looking great. <laughs> oh, bless Knox. Activate the random claw. I love how earnestly upset the Joker seems about this. He seems legitimately devastated. <laughs> Bobby better console. <laughs> uh, remember what you said earlier about the poison chalice of the lion, you're my number one guy. There it goes. Into the atmosphere where it can't hurt anyone. Apart from like birds or something. Remember that lion? Here it comes. Not that. <laughs> Gun. So sad. <laughs> Again, look where it takes place. Here it comes. Useless shot, but so good. I mean, if it wasn't for this, we wouldn't have an album cover or artwork cover. Yes, we couldn't possibly have just used the Bat logo. <laughs> it wouldn't be as cool. No, I'm okay with a little coolness for coolness sakes in my Batman. For anyone else, they're rubber bullets. Calm down. Are they, though? Yes. Like, for a fact? I believe so. 
Because he his his Batmobile had very real Gatling guns. Yeah, the rubber bullets. They were not rubber. Kill. Those, those were not rubber bullets. The Batmobile Luke, had real bullets. Use the force. Batman, you turned off your targeting computer. What's wrong? Those aren't rubber rockets, I'll tell you that. They are rubber rockets. What are you talking about? I love he's not killing. I, I love that he had him. a I love that he had a perfect shot. Literally it pinpointed and locked, and he missed every single one. I love this joke with the gun. And he gets it first shot. <laughs> <laughs> Off of just his eyeball. Again, this movie does have a lot of the 80s movie hero and villain are only as good as their skills as the story needs them to be. Which, in my opinion, is not bad. I think it's sloppy. I can I, I can put it in the, I can put it in the context of an 80s movie, but it definitely is sloppy, and it's something that I don't like. You know, because we've seen 70 and 80s films like Superman, like Star Wars things where the characters have consistent capabilities throughout. Whereas this Batman can't even use a, you know, a, a locked target that is perfectly locked that Burton shows us is perfectly locked. So it's just little things like that, that don't ruin the movie, but with all my other issues add up to a movie that I've never really loved. I'm liking it more watching it with you. I'll tell you that that's for damn sure. Oh, that's good. And it's a movie that I would probably I'll probably revisit more than I ever have. Can we talk about the outfit for a second? I know we talked about it briefly, but what a great outfit and character design. It is, yeah. And I, I again, as well as the killing joke hat, I like a joker in a long coat, which is something that I'm glad Ledger's had as well. I also really enjoy the locations they picked for Gotham. You got like the, the cinema, you got the church. Yes. That shot there. That's great. The gothic nature of it all. This is what I want to see in the Batman, which I think we will see. Because Batman is a gothic story. Like While I like Nolan's Batman because it's a interpretation of the character, it's a modern interpretation, it's right. missing this. Yeah. Batman belongs in the church. This is gothic. Nolan's is a crime drama. And I think the difference is that Reeves is doing a crime thriller. He's doing a noir thriller, which I think is... He's doing a gothic noir villa. Yeah. Uh, noir villa. Those are in the which middle where, where is, yeah. crime drama is very different. And, you know, can have lots of daytime scenes. And, you know, that, that one has, you know, Rachel Dawes and everything. And the, the lawyer aspect type stuff. I think that Reeves, you know, Reeves looks like he's making seven. You know, he's making a long camera spider. He's making, you know, he's, he again, referenced, you know. Yeah. And again, it's not about what's right or wrong. Absolutely not. Yeah. This is interpretations of the source material. This is what the author wants to tell. Absolutely. And I, and I would hope that, you know, other things, whereas, you know, there's been, there's been some consistency. There's more consistency across the three Spider-Mans now four with the animation than there are with the Batmans, but I would hope that one day, far from now, hopefully, where if Iron Man is redone, I hope it's very different from the Downey Iron Man. And I, and I'm sure Wolverine, I'm sure they're figuring that out right now behind the scenes. And I hope it's very different. 
These cops are very leathery. They are, and I like that. It's very, I don't know. Gives it all an edge. But the bad guys and the, and the quote-unquote good guys have similar sort of outfits. Then again, I guess Gotham rains a lot. I feel like a lot of Arkham was inspired by this. Oh, yeah, I would agree. Also, is this church abandoned? <laughs> yeah, there, it was because um, there was all like birds hanging downstairs. Right, right, right. What a great effect. Is there a behind the scenes doc on this movie? I think there must be. I would like to see one. Like, because you got to imagine that something like that is probably a miniature shot. And, you know, there's lots of matte painting. Like, I would like to see more of the behind the scenes. I know that Burton obviously was, you know, Dark Knight Returns and Killing Joke were his two focuses comics wise. But you always do like to see how stuff is built. Which is funny because I don't really get that feeling from this film. <laughs> I don't either. I see way more Killing Joke than Returns. Or maybe Returns yeah, wasn't killing, the inspiration, joke, but. See. But Returns, I think, is what made him take the job. Yeah, I feel like I get more of the classic Denny O'Neill, like, you know, 70s Batman. And yeah. the early noir gothic sensibility of the character. Right. And it's interesting to see where people pull. Um, you know, that's a conversation, definitely, that we haven't really had, is Burton and the comic influences. You know, we talked about the differences, but whereas you look at, you know, especially the first act of The Dark Knight, and that's Long Halloween in a lot of ways. Um, and obviously, rises for its strengths and its flaws is Returns, No Man's Land, and Nightfall. Um, I like the... <laughs> I love that line, sorry. No, it's okay. Uh, I truly have a bat my belfry. Great. What were you saying, sir? No, no, no. I was just, I was just saying that I like the... Yeah, I forgot about the flips. Uh, the aspects of this movie that are killing joke, I think, work. That cracks me up that he has that gadget. He's got a spatula. I love this music. Are they, did you ever used to play the Lego Batman games? I played the first one, uh, and maybe I dabbled in a couple of the others. Well, I mean, the first one's got this in it. The whole... Uh, score for the Lego Batman games is just this movie mm. and Batman Returns <laughs> I, do, I do like a thug taking themselves out like that I love the gargoyles and stuff yeah that's something that uh, the Arkham games did well where as you know they get more they get dumber as they get more fearful yeah I also love that he knows that Batman's out there getting beaten up. But he's like, yeah, yeah, we'll dance still. If we didn't already know that the church was abandoned, I'm so glad it is. I love this. Ha, ha, ha. 
How many bells does this church have? At peak capacity back in its heyday, it was probably so damn loud. Jesus Christ, yeah. You have a church nearby you. Does it have bells that ring? Yeah, but it's not that loud. He's fine. Killed him. He's fine. Straight up, he killed. He killed people on the floats. He killed the everyone police, that ate chemicals. The police are down there. They'll go to an ambulance. Oh, they'll certainly help. They'll help someone live. That's for sure. It's like it's like Eric Roberts. His legs are broken. That's fine. That was a believable fall, though. <laughs> He's so great. Oh, distracting with the old uh, kiss up the coat trick. I also love how he kind of realizes that it might be a ploy, but he's like, I'm not going to give this up. <laughs> I really, really don't understand this. He just likes the attention. Oh, yeah, but I just like, why did she think that that was a normal thing to do? Men. Oh. Oh my goodness. That's a good line. <laughs> That's a better line than him repeating the devil line. The bit where he comes up the glasses is so fucking funny. And the teeth. Jesus. <laughs> what are you laughing at? See, this is art made. There'll be like a legend in Ether.
I love the lack of caring that he is in danger here. It's just I pure like joy. Never really noticed how much the artwork looks like Jack. I just assumed it was a generic Joker. I always thought it was too. Sort of portrait. It's like a Brian Boland Joker. Oh yeah, definitely. Also, the line and sometimes I just kill myself is great considering what happens. Hoisted by his own batard. Also, we have to assume that he pre-programmed a tape recorder with laughing on it. Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. Which I love. I love it either way. I like the idea, just in case I die. This is pure horrifying as well. I like the idea of him like, okay, now I realize this is... These guys do him no favors, too. His goons helped kill him. <laughs> yeah. They didn't even try to descend or land or anything. That actually is a Batman, quote-unquote, kills the villain that is okay because he didn't kill him, you know? Of course, yeah. He didn't. He couldn't have anticipated that he had hit the gargoyle that was weak and things like that. The more egregious well, one, I think, not. actually is in Begins, which is the... I don't have to save you. That's just negligent. But yeah, I wasn't here. <laughs> I love how this goes from a romantic theme into the sort of the twisted, sad Joker music. What a great death! And they've been through so much of this movie, he's like, is he alive? <laughs> Honestly, right? I also, you know, I've always been fascinated by the fact that Batman 5 was supposed to see Jack return. I would have loved to have seen that. But it would have been the fear gas, right? It was supposed to be, yeah, Scarecrow played by Jeff Goldblum using fear gas to bring Jack Nicholson's Joker back on screen and then Harley Quinn as Joker's daughter. Well, there it is. Bless Knox. So what does Knox say in the CW crossover that he's met Batman? He doesn't say, he doesn't say anything. Mm-hmm. I love this letter from Batman. I also like the idea that he gave them the bat signal. 
Thank you. Thank you, Gordon. Mr. Steel Girl. <laughs> It's hmm. a great shot. Iconic shot. And there we have it. Well, Batman, nineteen eighty nine. Let's give that a pause. All right, we'll do a quick discussion, and then I think that's it. But uh, what did we think? I, I, what are your thoughts now? I have kinder feelings about this movie. I think that it is. It has more batman merit than i thought because it's it's certainly not as much about bruce as i like and that i think that we get even in later films in this quadrilogy or obviously in other takes very obviously in other takes Um, but i think that there's there's more going on here than i had given credit for but i also think that there are certain things that i feel the same on that i still dislike or that i don't think work for me i think that the biggest problems are joker related and that i think that it becomes way too personal at the end which sort of undermines other things i might be trying to do you know one of my first observations about that end fight scene is not just it's not just that bruce carries in the information that jack napier killed the waynes it's he makes the fight about that you know you killed my parents and everything and at that point this movie almost feels like like I had said earlier in the commentary, like this, this wraps up um, Bruce's vengeance. You know, this disturbed guy that wants to be normal, you've, you've righted the wrong and you made it personal. So you are feeling yourself right that wrong. And I think that it does sort of, it almost undermines sequel potential in a certain way. Not that that's, you know, sequel potential is, is, is a business thing as well, but um it it has strengths you know it's it's not going to be climbing my rank anytime soon but it um it deserves the credit that it gets obviously for setting the tone for a lot of things yeah for me i still think this is one of the best adaptations of the character i i adore 
Jack's Joker. I think he does a really great job at at the time, obviously, he was such an exceptional actor and he would have been a lot of money to pay for. But the fact that he comes in, gives it his all, is always great to see. Um, I think he has so much fun. And I feel like if anyone else tried to do this film today, they would keep Batman as the gritty character like we see in this film. But they'd try and make Joker gritty too. And I think what balances it out is that Jack is very ridiculous still he's still the joker i think that does a really great job of balancing that out yeah um the whole gothic city is just the, beautiful. the, the, the score set design. the aesthetics and the score like the sights and sounds you know just to put it simply mm. are, are the strongest part for me 100 percent. i agree i like how they delve into bruce's uh mental state in this film not as much as the next one but we'll get into that um it does a good job of setting it up, I think, at least. It's not explored until the next film. And I think there's a good reason for that. And that is obviously, we'll get into it, but it's Catwoman. And right. This Who is the... fantastic. By the way, filmed at Pinewood, which I did not know. Yes. Good old UK, right? Yeah. Um, I Yeah, I think that there's, I mean, the, the, the strength of Burton's legacy, you know, whether he cares about comics or not i mean famously kevin smith you know their rivalry has revealed that burton really doesn't have reverence for comics he's he said you know anyone who knows me knows i would never read a comic book who knows if that's changed in his older age but um you could fool me with this movie you know this does seem like somebody that understands the comic book dichotomy and you know what you pointed out that this joker is silly is important for their their you know the the, the balance of power and of the opposing forces uh, I think a lot about, I love almost casting stories. It's some of my favorite stuff to talk about. And the fact that this Joker was almost Robin Williams, um, which would have been also incredible. It tells you exactly where their head was. Like that was their goal, you know, that they yeah. got Nicholson because he was available and because they were like, oh my God, it's Jack Nicholson. Like this is a huge get for our movie, but they were always going to go that way. And Keaton, while not my favorite batman or bruce i think is setting uh the tone for a lot of things again i think that rob what we've seen of robert pattinson's the very little that we've seen he is um carrying his his himself in a similar way and and projecting his voice in a similar way yeah i think what i appreciate the most about keaton's batman as opposed to i would say nolan's batman and even the Snyder Batman is that he still feels like a child who is just, you know. And I feel like that's something that is obviously explored in the next film. It's that this person, when you have a traumatic experience, you split. So he aged, obviously, and he has different experiences, but he still right. maintains some of that childlike fear, and he never really got out of that moment. Right. And it's reflected in the scenes with like the whole family. Like He doesn't really pay attention. Um, he's still scared of people getting close to people. I think it's one of the big things that he's scared of getting close to Vicky. He's scared of getting close to anyone. He has yeah, a, and I think that the, that's a... the facade, the mask is like, the, which is why I like the mirror scene. It's the face he puts on. Obviously, Bruce Wayne is just another face, right? And I, I think that that's a strong, it's a strong observation. Especially you know, you put it in the context of later takes like Nolan's. It's interesting because Nolan's doesn't have that that child 
the childlike quality to it or that 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 child in pain uh, but it's interesting because nolan's batman sort of set the precedent for batman being a product of many individuals and many fathers and things so you can believe that this bruce was created by himself and alfred pennyworth and that is it that it is a two-man operation through and through whereas bale's is a being of rage but he acknowledges his need for allies and stuff you know he was made by alfred and ra's al ghul and lucius fox and rachel dawes and gordon um it's a very different dynamic when he's the product of so many parts yeah and i feel like the difference is like especially the comics like obviously he gets right he gets trained by ducard and all that stuff but that isn't what makes him batman what makes him batman is that that night night in the alley and i feel like it's the way it affects him and i feel like keaton does the best with that with that you you want to get nuts scene i feel it was a great way of him being like using that energy or but obviously that's another face he's wearing deep down he's still that scared like that scene where he says like like she's like do you want to let me in he's like you get you you came in it's that you know he's nervous he he doesn't want to get let people get close to him because of what happened and that's heartbreaking and the whole element of that and again i i love batman returns it's my favorite batman film of all time for that for that reason it delves into that a bit more it delves into it a lot more to be fair um and burton's films i think for me and the theme i like the most is the idea of gotham and the idea of how gotham changes these people not just gotham in terms of like a the city but like the people in it um particularly next next film is obviously um capitalism is the major villain in that film so it's interesting i like the idea like the dichotomy between bruce and selena in the next film is something i can't wait to get into you with because it's just so good yeah and i think the the she is uh the strongest aspect not only of that movie but of burton's whole run on batman yeah the idea because everyone's like oh yeah she's sexy because they love her outfit to me it's like no this is a broken person and their love is two broken people um, coming together, realizing that they might not be able to be ever be together because they are broken. Um, right, and obviously, and you what know, it like means the, to be broken. so visual, the, the the stitches and everything of her suit, so good, and her mental state. It's literally, and, and she literally, and we'll get into this. Obviously, I don't want to spoil too much, but obviously, she literally rips down her house, rips up her outfits, symbolizing her past life to create this new one right yeah and then i think that that's where burton's strengths are in in the visual metaphors and things like that yeah um but yeah but when it comes to 89 you know just wrapping up i think that it has um sloppy stuff in it i think that there's stuff that doesn't work for me theme wise character wise again you guys will decide though listening to this um sort of where you fall is are you in agreement with either of us about things what things that we both like the are you also you know, in agreement on, or are there things that you heard us say that maybe you're, you're, you're bringing to the table that are completely, you know, completely contrarian. You know, some people will see things in this movie that we didn't even think of. Um, but it's, um, it's more dense than I remembered it being, which is good. 
I'm, I'm glad. Um, while we wrap off, why don't we end off with this? If you, at the beginning of this recording, what would you have given this film uh, in terms of a rating out of 10? Man. Before you watched the film. Before I watched it, just now, yeah. I probably would have given it, I don't know, a four or five. Out of 10, right? And now I'd probably give it like six, six, five, seven, somewhere in there. Well, I feel like my job is done. <laughs> yes, you did. You did make me appreciate this one more, which which is both surprising and not surprising. It's surprising because I dislike this one, I think, more than I disliked Returns. Um. I disliked them both, but now I think, I think the returns, I think I'm going to find even more in there. This one to me would probably still be the one I'd go back to the least out of the four original uh, Burton Schumachers, but Mm -hmm. it definitely does have more to it um, than I thought, particularly with Keaton's Bruce. I used to think like, why are people so stuck on Keaton Bruce? Like they talk about him, like it was just this godly performance. So while I still don't think it's my favorite, I do think that there's more going on there, particularly with the lens of the child stuff. I think that that was the strongest um, new aspect that I picked up on in this commentary. Perfect. And I'm, I'm really excited to get into the second episode. That's like the apex of what this whole podcast is because I love that film so much. We're going to go and delve a bit more into that. Um, I'll obviously be writing a, we'll be writing a, a bit of um, some article information on the Patreon. So you can expect a little bit of writing from me and Auden just to sort of sum up some of the things we thought about the film. But until next time, don't forget to join us on the same uh, Patreon, same bat channel. Thank you for listening. See ya.